to see you. Good to see you. You're a newlywed. Yes. Congratulations. Just got married. You might recognize these voices. The first is Rosie O'Donnell, and this is her daytime talk show that, if you're of a certain age and inclination, you definitely watched after school in the late 1990s. The one who just got married is Jennifer Lopez. You might know her now as the cultural juggernaut who starred in rom-com classics like The Wedding Planner, who pole danced on screen at age 50, was a major figure of the Latin explosion in music, has had her own makeup, clothing, and perfume lines, and drinks all her liquids from a bedazzled sippy cup. But this is 1997, and she is very new. New to stardom, new to talk shows, newly wed. The wedding was an adventure, for It was sure. an adventure, the wedding? Yeah. In what way? It was like, well, first of all, my husband's from Cuba. Uh-huh. And uh, so we're, we're preparing the wedding, and he, like, gives me this list that's 150 names long. I'm like, have you ever been to a wedding? There will be quite a few prospective or actual Jennifer Lopez grooms over the next few years. The one in question here is her first husband, Ohani Noah, who you've probably never heard of. Next, she'll marry Chris Judd, who you may have heard of. Mark Anthony will be her third and final spouse, at least for now. And he says no. <laughs> so I go, oh, <laughs> he's Let only been here. Yeah, and I'm like, look, it's not like a big birthday party, okay? We pay for every person, and it's a lot of money, okay? And we're not rich, so chill. In about 20 years from this clip, she will be rich. Very, very rich. Try to buy the Mets with your Yankee boyfriend rich. But right now, in 1997, Jennifer Lopez is on daytime TV promoting her first lead actress role in Selena, the iconic biopic of Selena Quintanilla Perez, the Mexican-American queen of Tejano music. Jennifer Lopez is not a household name yet, but she is, I should note, very beautiful in a pared-down, girl-next-door, sweater-and-skirt kind of way. She's good at the chat game, giggly and sweet, but not annoying. Yeah. Now, you were a fly girl? Yeah. Rock on. <laughs> you were big old dancing with yeah. Rosie. Yeah, I was all in, into hip-hop, and uh, that's actually what got me out to L.A. She's about to star in Anaconda with Ice Cube and John Voight. After that, she'll do Out of Sight with George Clooney, and then a bunch of movies. Angel Eyes, Enough, Made Manhattan. But right now, in 1997, being a fly girl has real cachet. Rosie and Keenan just picked me, and I was I was the one with the big butt, you know. Oh, the please, short hair and the big Jennifer, butt. you don't have a big butt. That is not okay. a big butt. That is a big butt. That is not a big oh yeah, Jennifer Lopez will also become extremely famous for her butt, and help change mainstream American beauty standards. The butt will become so famous, in fact, that when this guy kisses it in a music video, the whole world will lose its ever-loving mind. Our next guest is a multi-talented young actor on his way to the top of Hollywood's A-list. You know him as the co-writer and co-star of, my opinion, best film of the year, Good Will Hunting, a film that received nine Oscar nominations. Please welcome Ben Affleck. In the clip you just heard, it's 1998, and it's The Rosie Show again. Ben Affleck is 25, tan, and handsome. He's in the midst of filming Armageddon. He and Matt Damon are about to win the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. It was absolutely the first thing we had written, and we had no idea that anyone would make it or be interested at all, and much less that I'd be on the Rosie show. Oh, oh, yeah. Ben Affleck is sitting there in light jeans and an oversized tan jacket. His legs are languidly crossed. He is very comfortable with himself. 
This is what people will like about him for the next couple of decades, even as he stars in terrible movies and then some good movies and allegedly makes some bad decisions with his kid's nanny. He is impish and smart. He is what we think of when we think movie star. Very cute, both of you, when you went up there and won. Like, the reason I, I love the movie and I love uh, both of you, even though I don't know you, is that I feel like you guys from the neighborhood. Like, I watched that movie and I thought, I know guys exactly like them, you know? Rosie is talking about how Ben Affleck and Matt Damon just won a Golden Globe. Here's some of their speech. Before we forget, uh, we should thank um, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association and um, Harvey Weinstein and Bob Weinstein and Gus Van Sant. This is your reminder that it's the golden age of Miramax, a.k.a. the House of Weinstein. Arthouse films are blockbusters. Marvel movies are just a glint in our eyes. Leonardo DiCaprio is still dating people his own age. Ben Affleck is dating Gwyneth Paltrow. Goop still lies dormant in the folds of her brain. Actually, let's fast forward a few years, out of the late 1990s and into the 2000s. Jennifer Lopez gets bigger and bigger. She's on Oprah promoting her first album, On the Six, and fending off dating rumors, which eventually turn out to be true. Because they're always trying to make something to you and Puffy. Yeah, me and Puffy, me and Maxwell, tons of people. Me and Mark Anthony, who I did a duet with. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh Every day it's somebody new. She wears the green dress. You know the one. It literally prompted the invention of Google Images. J-Lo doesn't want people to forget that. You could just put Google Images, and then you go J-Lo, green Versace dress, and boop, there it was. So I'm just wondering, where's my check? (laughs) Ben Affleck becomes a bona fide box office hunk. He goes from Armageddon to Shakespeare in Love, Ranger Games, Pearl Harbor. You get the idea. And then it happens. In late 2001, Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck, each born of the gloomy Northeast and vaulted into the golden Babylon that is Hollywood, finally crash together and cause a supernova of fame and photos and Diane Sawyer specials. They meet filming a movie called Gili, and the course of American history will never be the same again. I really mean it. It was fun to report. I mean, because... They were making this movie, and she was married to her backup dancer at the time. And we just saw photos of them all the time on this set, and they were always smiling in the photos. That's Mara Reinstein. I worked at Us Weekly from July 2002 to April 2017. Mara was there from the beginning of the global phenomenon that we would come to call Benefer. She wrote weekly stories for Us, the magazine that would become the gold standard in the guilty pleasure celebrity magazine business that dominated the early 2000s. We got photos of them kissing, and it was like, oh my gosh, like, look at this upgrade from Chris Judge to this movie star. Those kissing photos are from August 2002, and they were big news. Not just because they confirmed a couple that had been rumored for months— but because they started a tabloid war between People magazine, the old gray man of the celebrity news space, and the newly revamped Us Weekly. The photos were of Lopez and Affleck in his Bentley, with a top-down, reading a copy of Us. People magazine reportedly outbid their rival, 
paying $75,000 for those nine photos of Benefer, and promptly burying the ones that featured the other tabloid. The fight to get exclusive pictures and sell a whole lot of magazines only got crazier from there. Here's media critic Ben Affleck talking last year on the Hollywood Reporter's Awards Chatter podcast. Me dating Jennifer Lopez happened to be that tabloid story at the time when that business grew exponentially. When they realized there's there's actually 10 times a bigger audience for our product than we're selling to. So there was this proliferation. Us Weekly went from a sort of celebrity-friendly interview thing to a tabloid. The tabloids exploded. The internet started. You had your, you know, the Perez Hiltons, all that kind of stuff. And they needed something to write about. And we were that thing. And so I think there was a... Celebrity magazines were a massive business in the early 2000s. They were everywhere. They dominated waiting rooms and littered planes. Readers were enthralled. Readers like me. In the year of our Lord 2002, I was a bored teenage lifeguard and a devoted reader of the tabloids. I knew JLo's dress size, what she and other starlets ate to keep fit, and washed my hair with herbal essences because those were the ads between the pages upon pages of celebrities on red carpets, at the beach, and pumping gas. JLo's abs in the Glow Perfume ad remained burned in the fitness part of my brain. I was Team Jen, pro-belting your shirts no matter what, and confused why anyone still cared about Madonna. I had tabloid brain. Still do. And whether we want to admit it or not, a lot of Americans were formatively shaped by what went on back in the early 2000s. Ben Affleck is right. Those years before we had too much internet gave gossip publications a kind of centrality never seen before. That was no accident. There were hundreds of editors, publicists, photographers, tabloid tippers, and celebrity best friends making the gossip go round. The tabloids sold us their version of Hollywood— And by virtue of that, they formed our ideas about sex, beauty, race, success, and power. And maybe even our ideas about who can be the president. You might wish we all learned our morality at church, our ethics from a high-minded philosophy lecture, but that ain't the case a lot of the time. The values of American civilization can be seen most nakedly in its media, particularly celebrity media. And they're not always the values of fair-mindedness and equality we like to say we represent. Tabloids show us as we are, not how we want to be. On this series, I'm going to tell you the story of a decade of American life through the trash we love to consume. It was a big decade, too. It's the one that launched the information age we're living in today. It's a decade that changed the media business and probably changed your brain chemistry a little, too. The minds that fed on tabloid pictures and the mesmerizing banality of stars, they're just like us are the ones that soaked up reality TV and the Instagram age so readily. Of course, we find ourselves in a nostalgic place in 2022. Benefer is back, and only A-Rod seems upset about it. It's only natural that we want to take a look back at our most recent golden age of Hollywood. So much has changed since then. What's constant is there's nothing more American than Hollywood. And there's nothing that tells us more about ourselves than our idle chatter. Don't believe me? Here's renowned historian Yuval Noah Harari on the subject. Our language 
did not evolve in order to do math or philosophy. It evolved so that we could gossip. You heard the man. Let's gossip. Over the next eight episodes, we'll take you behind the scenes of the celebrity media complex in Hollywood during the early 2000s. We'll introduce you to the people who shaped the stories that kept us titillated, the stars who found themselves on the receiving end of the tabloid frenzy, and look at how the recent celebrity past shaped the present we all live in. From The Ringer, I'm Claire Malone, and this is Just Like Us, the tabloids that changed America. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. The Benefer tabloid mania was a very specific product of its time. It pretty much could have only happened in the early 2000s. The coverage marked the beginning of a truly frenzied era of celebrity media. What you've got to understand is there was a lot of bleak news back in the early 2000s. If you're too young to remember, it's hard to convey just how traumatized the country was by 9-11. Media, which was mostly still based in New York, really wanted to cover something light and frivolous after nearly 3,000 people had died in the city. Plus, there was a recession and two new wars. The country was just generally at psychologically loose ends. We had a semi-serious national debate over whether to call long, thin, oil-soaked potatoes French fries or freedom fries. And in 2002, into this weird American cultural breach stepped a Canadian editor named Bonnie Fuller. Bonnie Fuller was the one who sort of created the hybrid between the People magazine, and People magazine is an outlet for publicist information, that's all it is. Okay, and and the tabloids. 
That's Jill Ishkanian. I've been in this industry for over 20 years. Jill worked as an Us Weekly reporter and later its West Coast news editor back in the early 2000s. She's now an independent paparazzi photographer and journalist. When she says People Magazine is an outlet for publicist information, you'd better believe that's a dig. Jill, like a lot of tabloid reporters and paparazzi photographers, thinks what she does is the purest kind of truth-driven journalism, puncturing the mythology of the beautiful celebrities we put on a pedestal. So they got the dirty tabloids and you've got the, the People magazine. So Bonnie Fuller was the one who said, well, let's do this hybrid where, yeah, we play ball with them, but we also, you know, have some edge to us. And she did the things like fashion police. She invented fashion police. Where a panel bitchily critiques celebrities' outfits. She did um, oh, Stars Are Just Like Us, which she always gets credit for, which she should. Stars, They're Just Like Us, was a section that featured celebs doing ordinary things like chores and walking their dogs or spilling coffee. Before Bonnie Fuller, Us Weekly was a more standard entertainment glossy. Think Premier Magazine, a friendly celebrity cooperative. But after, it was a whole new ballgame. She was kind of just known in the industry as this evil, mad genius in the sense that she wasn't always easy to get along with, but she knew what she was doing. And whatever she did translated it into really high newsstand sales. Mara says Rolling Stone owner Jan Wenner took a risk by hiring Bonnie Fuller. Bonnie completely overhauled Us Weekly as people knew it and out went the Mark Seliger photo shoots and in went paparazzi shots. The covers were bright and neon and the cover lines were juicy and enticing. Here's Bonnie's former assistant, Jared Shapiro. You know, when I walked into the Winter Media offices, which was Rolling Stone, Men's Journal, and Us Weekly, it was a lot of women in Manolo Blahniks and Gucci bags. Bonnie's world was not Rolling Stone's rock and roll world of practice cool. She's working all day, right? And then she's got to walk the red carpet at 7 p.m. alongside celebrities and people who've spent their entire day getting ready. And she's just leaving. So there was a lot of like, you know, getting ready in the closet, big walk-in closet and getting the hair blown out at four o'clock. This is peak magazine world excess. We'll talk about it more on later episodes. But Bonnie Fuller and her Us Weekly embodied in real life what the Devil Wears Prada parodied. The aspirational magazine kingdom ruled by a larger-than-life figure. But the magazine was so fun to read. I went online and bought a bunch of old issues of Us Weekly from that era. There's Britney versus Justin, The War is On, and J-Lo Answers, What's Rumor? What's Real? Is the marriage working? Was she emotionally abused? Is she a diva? Plus, her six have-it-all secrets. Yes, all of that was really on a single magazine cover. And all these years later, I'm still pulled in. I remember walking past a newsstand and seeing Us Weekly on the cover And it was Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox. Remember, this is 2002. And the cover line was, why haven't they had babies? And I was so, I I just, it stopped me in my tracks. I still remember where that newsstand was. And I just stared at the cover because I could not believe a magazine had the gall to put that on the cover. 
Gall is right. That cover reads like something your socially oblivious, nosy relative would say to you. It wasn't just people in the magazine business who were taking notice of the new Us Weekly. I'm Rob Shooter. Today, Rob Shooter is a gossip columnist with his own podcast. But back in the early 2000s, he was a publicist for stars like Paris Hilton, Britney Spears, Jessica Simpson, P. Diddy, and yes, Jennifer Lopez. I remember we went to Remy, a very fancy restaurant in Midtown, which Bonnie loved. I thought Bonnie was there to pitch us doing Britney on the cover, which is what would happen with the monthly magazine. No, Bonnie was there to say, I'm doing Britney on the cover. And if you want to participate, great. And if you don't, we're doing it. I'd never heard of such a thing. I nearly I nearly fell into my ball of past. <laughs> like I was definitely like, oh, that felt different. It sure did. Bonnie Fuller had shaken up the celebrity media world, and Benefer was about to make it go fully insane. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In December 2002, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez appear on The Today Show with Matt Lauer. J-Lo has just finished a live performance of songs from her album, 
and the couple of the moment is sitting for questions about their personal life. Let's talk a little bit about what's happening to you two. It's been a wild couple of months. How, how are you handling all the attention, Ben, that's come with not only you personally, but, the, but this relationship? Uh, well, it's a little crazy, and it's a little bit more, I think, than I either of us anticipated, but it's all, um, you know, basically good, and, and, and most of it seems pretty nice, and we're very happy, and she's doing great, and the album is great, and the movie's great, and she's happy, and so I'm happy, and I'm just uh, having a good time. I want to talk to you about some of the things she wrote about you in this album. She dedicated it to you, saying that When the Benefer news exploded, truly everyone in the world seemed to want to get a piece of the couple. And Jennifer Lopez, in particular, didn't seem to mind riding the publicity train. She had a movie and an album to promote, after all. Here's her publicist from the time, Rob Shooter. Jennifer was every circus in the world combined under a, under a big top in Vegas. Like, it was just an intensity that I'd never seen. And I know a lot of famous people. I'd worked with a lot of really big stars. The, the Benifer moment was so large. It was like what I would imagine it was was like working with the Beatles when they arrived in America. It was like working with Elvis Presley or Marilyn Monroe. It was just another world of attention and scrutiny. When Benefer started, Jennifer Lopez had a bit of a tough reputation in the industry. Here's her director, Michael Apted, from the 2002 movie, Enough. From the beginning, it was a bit intimidating. You know, you hear all the legends about Jennifer, how difficult she is, and, you know, it's going to be hard for you to get through it and all this kind of stuff. Magazines played up this reputation. Diva got slung around a lot. And yes, it's every bit as sexist as you think. And Ben Affleck had noticed. He took out a full-page ad in Variety in 2002, before their romance went public, complimenting her on her work ethic. He's since been a little more explicit about why he did things like that. Affleck said recently on that same episode of the Hollywood Reporters podcast that a lot of the coverage of Lopez was racist. Here's Mara Reinstein again. She had just come off of a very high-profile romance with Puff Daddy, who seemed to be like more her speed in terms of like the party lifestyle and just jetting around the Hamptons. Like that seemed to be fit more than Ben Affleck, who had dated Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, I don't think people see Gwyneth Paltrow and Jennifer Lopez the same way. And that's just like they don't see Ben Affleck and Puff Daddy the same way. So those were big transitions on both their parts. This is the fascination with the Benefer relationship, I think. That opposites attract trope. And there are a couple of ways to read it. One is that it's a good old-fashioned rom-com come to life. The other, since this is America, has to do with race and class. Let's do the rom-com read on their relationship first. This was a fun one for magazines because Jennifer Lopez was actually starring in rom-coms like The Wedding Planner and Made in Manhattan. Most readers of celebrity magazines are women, and this idea of the rom-com is something we're conditioned to love, love, love at an early age. Two mismatched people find they love each other and overcome pretty solvable obstacles. In the end, they have a blowout wedding for which the woman has reached her goal weight. That's the celebrity magazine fairy tale ending. There's a lot of ring, dress, and guest list content the publication can get out of it in the lead-up. So, yeah... Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck were a rom-com come to life. That was sort of fun and enthralling for readers to keep track of. 
and it sold a hell of a lot of magazines. But let's talk about the other way to read The Opposites Attract Fascination with Benefer. Here's how Diane Sawyer starts off a 2002 ABC primetime special with Lopez. She the racy, impetuous pop star with that flashy ex-boyfriend, not to mention two marriages. He, the towering actor who romanced an uptown goddess. The brainy guy who grew up in the working-class part of Boston. The flashy ex is Puff Daddy, of course. The uptown goddess is Gwyneth Paltrow. Diane doesn't say it outright, but we all know what she's getting at. Before Benefer, Ben Affleck was dating another prestige white actor, and Jennifer Lopez was dating another person of color in the music industry. Those pairings made sense to America, or at least to Diane Sawyer's imagined audience. They had some internal race and class logic. Lopez's relationship with Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, Sean Combs, he had a lot of names over the years, had tied her to the world of hip-hop and eventually her boyfriend's legal troubles. There was a whole thing about a gun at a nightclub. Despite the fact that she was a teetotaler and a workaholic, she drank milk at clubs, Lopez seemed to conjure up some air of danger to the white people that mostly made up the celebrity magazine's target audience. Affleck, schlubby, white, and charming, did not. So when magazines were writing about how Ben Affleck was changing while he was with Jennifer Lopez, and let me assure you, the glow-up was quite real, there were a couple of ways I think readers were absorbing it. One, he was glamming it up to match J-Lo's high-wattage red carpet looks. Or two, this nice white kid from working-class Boston was losing where he came from because he was dating outside his race. Mara said people were even calling him B. Diddy. There was also an amazing amount of commentary on her butt. Like, it's really hard to convey to you how much coverage there was unless you lived through it. And it had a certain exoticizing, gawking quality to it. Here's Sylvia Martinez, the former editor-in-chief of Latina Magazine, which covered Lopez's rise from obscurity to stardom. We used to talk about that at Latina, like how, you know, like, really? Does Jennifer's butt have to have a life of its own? Like, you know, um, it was just maddening, though, because it's just, you know, it's just part of who she is, and it's not... Um, but I think that, again, sort of let's, being Latina played into that, right? Because she didn't have the typical Hollywood body and, like, you know, she didn't look like she was starving. And, you know, so there was a lot, way too much emphasis. By the way, here's Lopez talking about Ben's sartorial transformation years later with Andy Cohen on Watch What Happens Live. Was the transformation of G- of Ben Affleck your doing? Did you dress him when you were dating him? Because that was okay. the big rumor at the time. Yeah, you- no, I actually, I did kind of like say, you need to be, you know, you're a movie star. You should wear a suit, yeah. you know, you should do this with your hair, you know, for sure. I mean, I do that and I... They do, by the way, guys do that to girls, yeah, too. Like, yeah, they do. I like that dress better than the yeah. other dress, you know? So, for sure, yes. yeah. I and he obviously went along with it. and Yeah, he, he was into yeah. it. You know, he didn't do anything he didn't want to do. White. Even if the tabloids didn't think so, one thing stands the test of time in my book. Ben Affleck looks good in a white cashmere turtleneck. But the tabloids had the power to tell a very different story. 
In 2003, TV shows like Extra were covering celebrity comings and goings feverishly. And A-listers were out there to be spotted. Jen and Ben left their limo behind and faced a mob of frenzied fans as they made their way inside Ben's Big Bash. Here's the thing we really need to state for the record. For all the tough press they got, Lopez and Affleck courted attention. They had very simple cupcakes and uh, pieces of pizza, and it was decidedly low-key, and that's the way that Jennifer wanted it. Us Weekly's Ken Baker suspects Jen and Ben are saving their energy for a real blowout. I think a lot of us are assuming that there is a bigger party on the horizon, as in the wedding. Jennifer Lopez, in particular, understood that there was an image-making opportunity that came with high-profile romance. The creation of an A-list couple was no small thing. For Lopez, there was also the added benefit of tempering some of the diva press she'd gotten in previous years. One 2003 issue of Us applauded her Ben makeover as J-Lo maintenance. While they didn't necessarily drop the dime on themselves to the press, people told me Benefer always ended up at spots where they could be photographed. And eventually, the paps just knew to sit on Lopez's house, that she would give them a good shot. Did J-Lo read the tabloids? Was she a student of them? Oh, absolutely. She flicked through them. She knew them. Her family members would email her and text her them. Her mother's a huge fan of The Wendy Williams Show, which is why Jennifer does The Wendy Williams Show in town. I love that show. When Lopez and Affleck got engaged, she confirmed it on that Diane Sawyer primetime special after calling Affleck off camera to discuss. Are you engaged? Yes. It's the most magnificent thing I've ever seen. I still look at it, kind of marvel at it, like, (laughs) you know. She's talking about the big old pink diamond ring from Harry Winston that's on her finger. She went on 2020 and and showed the pink ring. The next day I interviewed her. The next day I interviewed her at a Made in Manhattan junket. And it was a roundtable interview. Mara Reinstein again. At the end of the interview, she went over to me and she said, would you mind if I have your Us Weekly? I haven't read it yet. And she took my Us Weekly and left the room and she read it and that was it. I mean, she was the smartest of all. And it's not a surprise that we're still talking about Jennifer Lopez almost 20 years later because she knew how the game was played and she was part of it. Lopez knew just what the readers of magazines like Us Weekly wanted. Beautiful pictures. She more intuitively understood that life is a costume drama, particularly in Hollywood. Jennifer knew how to step out of a car or an apartment, her house, and create a photograph. She also knew, too, that nothing she could say would be as interesting as the way she looked. She knew her talent. She lent into it. Affleck, on the other hand, was a lot more skeptical of the press. He was already on top of Hollywood, a 21st century Cary Grant with a little masshole flair. He didn't need more attention. Press coverage became a huge problem in their relationship. We don't have enough time to get into it, but the relationship was tumultuous as all get out. A brief overview. Benefer broke up and got back together and moved their wedding date, 
specifically blaming media interest for it. I was told that the then-girlfriend of a big Hollywood player was a major source of wedding-related leaks. Ben also visited a strip club in Canada and a nightclub in Berlin, which probably didn't help. In the beginning, all was rosy and light, and they didn't mind the press. But as the relationship grew fraught, so did the media attention. And after allowing so much access, it was hard to turn off the press bigot when things got tough. In 2008, Affleck said, I think Jen and I made a mistake in that we fell in love, we were excited, and maybe too accessible. Here he is again in 2020, talking about that era. Why in the world would I have wanted that? Why would I have sought that out? People still, to this day, they'll go like, you know, I see you out there, like, in the paparazzi and the pictures. It's like, yes, I left my house and took out the track. <laughs> it's not like I'm trying to, and they still go, you're taking a pack walk, as if if you leave your house, you're only doing so in the hopes that you should be so lucky that you could end up as the sixth item in the Daily Mail. That's a complicated question, actually. How much do celebrities seek press attention? There are two schools of thought about it. Big-time Hollywood publicists like Stephen Huvain pretty much try to keep their clients out of the media. Maybe they'll do a Vanity Fair cover if they've got a movie to promote. Those are usually the awards bait kind of actors. The thespians. Brad Pitt doesn't even have a publicist. Neither does Angelina Jolie, but she also plays the press game when she wants to, leaving herself open for the occasional flattering picture. More on that in a couple of episodes. I was told Tom Cruise, perhaps somewhat predictably given all the couch jumping he did with Oprah, loved a good photo setup on his own terms back in the Tomcat days. Think the Ivy. Think motorcycle. Then there are the celebrities who know their appeal is mixed in with their identity as a person, not just their work on the stage. These are the pop culture celebs, the ones whose appeal is maybe a little more populist. My clients were scrappy. Diddy was scrappy. Diddy liked this. They also, too, were people that saw the future. Diddy constantly evolved. Jennifer constantly evolved. In order to keep her level of fame, in other words, Jennifer Lopez played the press game. Ben Affleck didn't have that same instinct. I said at the top of the show that Benifer represented the beginning of something, a frenzied era of celebrity coverage. But it also marked the end to something else. The old-school movie star remove. Benifer was overexposed as hell. Lots of people compared the ups and downs of Benifer to the tempestuous love affair between Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. But as photographed and fascinated as the world was by Dick and Liz, the public never saw them as much as we did Benifer. The 2000s tabloid war meant that Benefer was in our face all the time. Then there were the celebrity news-driven TV shows like Access Hollywood. Even mainstream news was covering Benefer. Here's CNN breathlessly rehashing some of the relationship details. But by August 2003, the Benefer union was beginning to show cracks. Reports of Ben's excessive gambling and a night with strippers made headlines, just as Geely got trashed by critics and grossed just $3.8 million. The economy of the paparazzi photography business egged it on, 
And it got to a point where their tabloid reputation was so all-encompassing that it began to affect business and creative decisions. The original plot of Gili, the movie Affleck and Lopez starred in together, was much darker. Affleck's character was supposed to die. But once studio execs saw the mania that was Benefer, they decided to make the movie into a rom-com. They did weeks of reshoots that probably screwed up a screwed-up movie even more. America wanted a rom-com, and this one was coming to an end. Benefer broke up once and for all in early 2004. Lopez would be married to Mark Anthony by that summer. Here's Lopez on The Graham Norton Show in 2010. Media catches on to certain things and they just go crazy with it. And that just happened to be one of the things. And our relationship, I think, did suffer. Mark Anthony, Lopez said, taught her a different approach to fame. You know, you can have your career. You can do what you need to do. You can promote. You can do all that stuff. But you also, you know, can have a personal life and it can be quiet. And I think, you know... When you're in the throes of it, you don't realize that you have that control over it. You kind of feel like, oh, it's just happening. I I can't stop it. And he kind of taught me that, no, you can. Lopez might have retreated, but not every star did. In fact, a lot of them jumped on the attention-getting train over the next decade. Attention, as we'll talk about, and as every Instagram influencer knows, can be way more lucrative than acting or singing. Here's a guy with something to say about that overexposure. Famous people have ruined fame. Recognize that voice? It's Spencer Pratt, and you'll hear more from him later in the series. Everyone's so relatable. Everyone's just like each other. Just They took the just like us section and forgot like, no, you were supposed to fake that once a week. You're not supposed to be like us. You're supposed to be <laughs> stupid famous and rich and cool. After Benefer, we wanted more and more public romances, more and more details. Benefer heralded the beginning of an era chronicling the lives of A-list lovers. Demi and Ashton, Cameron and Justin, Tomcat, Brangelina, Nick and Jessica, then John Mayer and every woman post-divorce. We wanted to know what jeans Heidi Klum was wearing. Citizens of Humanity from Kitson, obviously. We wanted to watch Kate Hudson and Reese Witherspoon's pregnancy bellies grow, then get the secrets for how they shed the baby weight. Somewhere along the line, the attention got so rabid, think Britney in 2007 and 2008, that some big stars got spooked. They pulled back. So we got more Paris and Lindsay and their rotating cast of nightlife creatures. Reality TV was coming for us and our tabloids. The stars of those shows were approximately as beautiful as the uber-famous people, but their lives were more fun, more messy. We liked seeing Spencer, Heidi, and Lauren feuding on the hills. Their 15 minutes of fame made the potential for our own seem more real. We wanted Octomom and the incessant breakups of Bachelor and Bachelorette stars. When the financial crash came in 2008, we could pillory the silly, rich women on The Real Housewives. Jill showed up to look like Maud. Like, she had a muumuu on in all these colors. She had probably $30,000 worth of jewelry on. She looked like a fruit salad. The decade that had begun covering the A-list ended in D-list splendor. As reality TV matured, it taught us to be more skeptical about what was real and what was fake. 
In those early Benefer years, we were less likely to think about the celebrity machinations behind the scenes, happy to be fed our cotton candy. But TMZ and the blogs brought the stars up close and turned our skepticism dial way up. We became inclined to look for the seams, to see the beards, the stage mothers and publicists, the setup shots. Today, we devoted tabloid readers are all cynics. We see the sleight of hand or the ulterior motive everywhere we look. The media and celebrity landscape is so fractured with TikTok stars and YouTubers and scores of television actors, we don't really have a monoculture anymore. And yet, the influence of that first decade of the 2000s lingers on in some crucial structural ways. It taught us what we like most, pictures. It's why we love scrolling Instagram, TikTok, and the Daily Mail homepage. We like to examine the supposed nose jobs and cellulite for ourselves. We want to see the pretty faces. And of course, nostalgia is still a powerful drug. And Benefer still knows how to make the tabloid world go insane all these years later. Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck making out in public, and we are so here for it. When I first started to see page six items this past spring about Ben Affleck visiting Jennifer Lopez, I'll admit my skepticism kicked in. It just seemed like a too cute way to kick up dust in the wake of her breakup with A-Rod. But then, well, it seemed actually real. And it was actually delightful. Benefer 1.0 rose to media prominence in the frippery-starved year after 9-11. And Benefer 2.0 hit after a year of COVID, in the midst of bleak political times. It felt nice to sink into a warm, familiar romance. And everyone seemed to be here for the good, wholesome fun, including Matt Damon. I have to say, you know, the press was particularly terrible to them like 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. what's nice is that is they're being that nice now. They're being, at least right. they're being nice this time around. Matt Damon is right. It seems like the media didn't want to rain on the parade, in part the product of new, ostensibly nicer mainstream Internet norms. What's more, it seems like Benefer had matured and was having a little of their own fun. They felt more in control of things, which is probably partially the Instagram age. Celebrity outlets just don't have the reach that they used to. And partially the experience that comes with age. Fans are theorizing that J-Lo and Ben are actually recreating her iconic music video for Jenny from the Block. Wait, what? Okay, let's It was back to butts on yachts, wildly expensive watches, and browsing for rings at Tiffany. It was escapist fluff. But it was also a moment where we got a glimpse at what must have been decades-long longing for each other. The humanity of it all. Here's Jennifer Lopez talking to Hoda Kotb back in 2014. I love singing about love. You know, to me, those little things, it's the thing that I've been trying, I guess, to figure out for a long time. Relatable. um, So when I moved away and I started traveling the world, I was... I felt so alone. Yeah. I felt so alone. But I was happy to be like, I was brave in the sense like I was forging ahead and I was going to go after my dream. Like that was the thing. But I was still like looking for that family, looking for that love, looking for someone to be there with me. Mm. And, Maybe uh, Jennifer Lopez, that 52-year-old multi-hyphenate woman making it in a man's world and a millennial's Instagram, is getting her rom-com happy ending at long last. At least for now. Either way, it's too good not to print. 
this season on Just Like Us. They were just staring at the screen. And I came around and kind of just looked over their shoulders, and there it was. Uh, the picture of Brad and Jen on the beach. He's got that shirt that says trash on it. And she's resting her head on his shoulder. Jen Aniston doesn't talk when she comes out of a restaurant. But you know who does? Brandon Davis. And you know what he does? Says a lot of shit on Lindsay Lohan, which becomes internet gold. Early on, the stories that kind of worked the best were the stories about black celebrities that a lot of white people or a lot of people in mainstream America just didn't even know that black people had an intimate relationship with. Kim literally studies Spidey. I will take her to court if she'd like to, and when she's a lawyer, she can represent herself. She, like, go back to us at the, our millions and millions milkshake appearance, or we got a milkshake to Spidey and Kim K. Like, she's right there watching how Heidi and I, who were so famous at the time, are interacting with the paparazzi. As crazy it might sound, Donald Trump was the last star we had, really. Somebody who could collectively bind us, maybe not in appreciation, um, but inspire endless stories and tabloids, inspire endless essays and articles and cable news coverage wondering what is he thinking, what is he doing, why does he do the things he does, just like we do with any star. Just Like Us, The Tabloids That Changed America was written and reported by me, Claire Malone, with story editing by Amanda Dobbins. The show was executive produced by Juliet Littman and Sean Fennessy. Our producers are Amanda Dobbins, Kaya McMullen, and Vikram Patel. Sound design and engineering by Hans Dale Shee. The music is from Epidemic Sound and Blue Dot Sessions. Copy editing was done by Craig Gaines and fact-checking by Juliana Ress. Our art director is David Shoemaker, Illustration by Michael Weinstein. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.